in Irurri, Snowdonia, National Theatre Wales, along with Natural Resources Wales, hosted a two-week-long international artist residency in response to climate change, called Egin. As part of the proceedings, they curated four events, Skurshai Hinsouth, Climate Conversations. They brought the resident artists together with musicians and specially invited provocateurs to share local and global perspectives, along with anyone from the local community who fancied it. The climate conversations happened in an outdoor centre, in a carpeted room with a panelled ceiling and large windows that looked out onto a disused ski slope at the foot of Manadhoidharari, Snowdonia's mountains. Before the events could be set up, we often had to wait for children who had been canoeing or orienteering to pick up their coats and bags and empty crisp packets. Each evening the room looked and felt completely different, put together by Lindsay Corburn, a facilitator and artist who hosted and produced the events collaboratively. Land, money, rebellion, hope. Podcasts like this often pose a question and then answer it. This is not what will happen here. Like the events they came from, this is about creating a space to share knowledge and thoughts and raise questions. And what happens next is up to all of us. Money. Ariane. For me tonight, it's about getting people to imagine what comes after money. I've made a real point to start using the phrase when capitalism ends and like make, like say it like really consciously. It cannot sustain itself. I don't, and I don't even think it's going to end because people are going to bring it down. I actually think that it will just collapse on itself. Like it's just not a viable system. It breaks and then it keeps trying to fix itself and then it breaks and then it keeps trying to fix itself. But there's only so much that you can repair a broken building. You know, sometimes you have to just literally knock the whole thing down. What I want to present to you are four pieces of sound that I've recorded in the valley at Bethesda, which is 10 miles or so away from here. And I want us to think about the way we listen to sound or the way we experience sound. To quote Pauline Oliveros, she came up with a practice called deep listening, which is listening to everything all the time and reminding yourself when you're not listening. Hearing and listening are not the same thing. So what I've got here are four, what I, I've called them sound prints. So they're kind of like a Polaroid photograph, but in sound, of various environments in the valley where I live. When I first got involved in climate change, I just thought, well, I don't know what the answer to this is, but surely if we bring people together, we can, with multiple perspectives, we've got more chance of working out how can we move from this. So I thought it'd be fun to try with these, these evening conversations to see if we can um, frame it around just listening to as many diverse perspectives as possible and looking for the new through that process. 
So I'm Lindsay Colborn and I am Creative Development Associate on the Egin project for National Theatre Wales. So I'm a local artist based around the corner. Maybe I shouldn't call myself. I'm an artist based locally around the corner in Nantes, Paris. Thank you so much, Lindsay. And thank you, David. Where are you? That was so amazing. I'm so happy your name is David Hopewell. That's what we need, to hope well. My name is Rabab. My name is Rada. And uh, we work for an organisation called Gentle Radical. We're not here as experts on money. And I have to say, we're not experts on the environment either. We're artists and we're community practitioners. <laughs> and we believe art and culture absolutely should be addressing the most urgent issues of our time. And in that context, we cannot ignore issues of climate justice. But we would, like many people, we would frame those subjects within contexts of historical colonialism, within white supremacy, within patriarchy, within deep, deep-rooted, centuries-old structural systemic global systems out of which environmental destruction and degradation emerges. And the fact that we've got such great inequality, like the people around in this room here, we probably all think quite carefully about, you know, our carbon emissions and the resources that we use. But if you come to work with me and talk to the people that I work with, they have not got capacity. They cannot even yeah. start to think about that because they're struggling to, like, get through the week and have enough electricity to turn their cover on. You know, it's just not on their agenda. Absolutely. And that's completely reasonable. So do if we work? could do something... Yeah. Where do I work? Yeah. I work around here. I work for Shelter Camry. I'm a... Oh, yeah. The Housing Homeless Charity. Yeah. yeah. Our perception, the way that we see things, is framed by our privilege. And our privilege governs the level of access that we have to resources and the kind of access and the kind of resources that we have but our perceptions of the planet of climate change will also change how we respond to things so is there another way to see things is there another way to see climate change can we think about a radical shift in our perception as a resource because I think it's realizing that we are part of the ecosystem. Yeah. And that's also a resource. Yeah. Because money definitely is a capitalist blindfold. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Something to do with hierarchy and power play. And if we just get to the basic of the human essence, the human uh, condition. Mm. Humanity, you know, just me understanding you, your need without necessarily looking at the materiality. I think that's the best resource. Humanity itself is a resource. But if we disregard, but also just knowing that we are part of the ecosystem. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that so? I mean, what you were saying there to me is it's about sort of knowledge and it's that kind of education. It's yeah. like educating yeah. people to understand yeah. where we are. He, to decolonize the, the mindset of, of thinking that money is the ultimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And also just going back to 
the simple organic, you know, organic thinking. It's like a plant produces oxygen, or a plant uh, kills, or a tree cut destabilizes the ecosystem. Yes, mm -hmm. knowing that, because I mean. Our ancestors live without money, anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this goes back to the planet being resourceful. So if we were to use companion plants rather than insecticide, pesticides, yeah. then you know we're helping to save the planet by using the ecosystem that's already there for us. Mm. This idea of community as a, a deep resource, like we can't survive. We are in communities, whether we like it or not. It's not for us disconnected to conflict because of difference and because of diversity, and we can't avoid it. I come from Iraq originally, so I was involved in masses of stop the war activism over the years, anti-sanctions activism in my 20s when after the 91 Gulf War, and lots of other kinds of activism, anti-austerity activism, etc. I've pretty much withdrawn from activism as we know it because it is so depressingly disappointing that every time we form these groups, we somehow miss that the power dynamics that we feel like we're fighting against exist in those groups. How can we think of the combination of being in community and having to deal with conflict and finding resolutions to that as a resource? We would argue that community is not like a bunch of people, it could be. It's not just geographical, it could be. It's not just cultural, it could be. It's actually the longevity that underpins our capacity to have solidarity with others and build a future together and build a present together. The continuity is essential and the continuity could not be more essential to fighting the crises that we're in. Because if we cannot figure out how to do this work together and stick around each other for long enough, we keep fragmenting and we have to then get together and build again. We keep fragmenting and have to get together and build again. It's, it's more than that. If you take money away, they'll maybe go back to land. Is land valuable? And it's what we are challenged now about what you value. Yeah. So each one of us will value things differently. Well, maybe not all of us. But if we look at humanity, the genesis of humanity, we know that the community is, is always the first thing. Your family, your closest, you know, it's always the... Nature will always find its way. But if we as humans, if we just get to know that this is where we start, and this is our genesis, and we are part of the ecosystem, the, nature always has a way to fight. And it can either swallow us, or we realize that we are part of the ecosystem, and we need to, within ourselves, to, to think of where we come from, of where we or, the, our origin is within this ecosystem, within, you know, the earth, within the environment. Otherwise, nature, I mean, you've seen buildings and, 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 and all these crazy constructions that are engulfed with back into nature, you know, yeah, trees, yeah. 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 So nature will always, is, is always in control. But we as humans just need to get back to our sense and know that where do we come from?
what binds us together as humanity. Forget the divisions, racism and capitalism and all these other what is it that brings us together? And I, I think those things that you, you, you know, the, the idea of capitalism and racism, so all these divides and separations, they are mechanisms that were put in place yeah. to divide and conquer yeah. and control. Wales is a community of communities, really. That's the important thing. It's getting people from where their solidarity is based on oppression to where their solidarity is based on hope, action and hope, you know. So that's the key thing. And, and that's what these community-owned companies have managed. Uh, people have got their self-respect back. You know, communities have got their self-respect back. They've got their identities back. They can quite happily raise two fingers to the world if they want to, but they tend to be the most welcoming communities, willing to share ideas, supporting others in their efforts, nationally and internationally. It's interesting to think of how some of these ideas can be applied to making art, and how maybe there's something in there about money. And since, like, you know, when your work gets funded, it's really great and you kind of get comfortable in that and I feel like I then just work when I'm getting paid but actually accessing that channel of making something not caring if someone's going to pay me or not but making something because you have to say this thing or you really want to make this thing and it's not about acquiring capital maybe there's something in that that's interesting to think about and that line between art and activism. What does it really mean to leverage your privilege and power? If we're not asking that question in response to the environmental question, we don't believe we can go anywhere. We have to be asking a question about privilege and power, how much access we have to that, and therefore what is our responsibility in particularly the global north, particularly in Western Europe. Leveraging, how do we do this as individuals? How do we take the privileged position that we're in? How do we acknowledge how that gives us access to resources, how do we acknowledge what kind of resources that gives us access to, and then how do we take all of that and share it with people that don't have the same kind of access. And we're not talking about charity in that sense, we're talking about something that's a lot more sustainable. So how, how do we take those resources that we have and leverage them in the direction of people who have been historically marginalised so that they can have access to those resources in the long term and in a continual way and in a way that's sustainable. The radical imagination, I feel like, has been really intrinsic to the work we do, but as individuals as well, it fuels everything that we believe in. And when we talk about the radical imagination, I think the best way to explain it is to give you an example. So. We see a lot of films going around that talk about the end of the world, so huge climate disasters, post-apocalyptic, so like there's some sort of like alien life force or some sort of disease that's ravaged the planet. And those kinds of images are so dangerous. Does anybody else feel the same way? They're so incredibly dangerous because that's our image of the future. That's the image of the future that has basically like that, that you can access 24-7 if you're online. That is our image of the future. 
And when we talk about the radical imagination, it's about imagining the future that we want to live in rather than the one that we think we're going to live in. It's really important to be hopeful. It's really important to engage the kind of world that we that we want to see and not the kind of world that we that we think no that we feel we have no choice to live in. It is a point of political responsibility in our politics to imagine that future. Yeah. I'm not saying I go around, I don't think you do either, Rada, going around, yeah, it's going to be great, you know, the revolution. Yeah. Like, it is, a, it is a practice, a labour of love and emotional labour and a labour of perception mm. to constantly put in the centre of your vision that that change is going to happen yeah. because your actions come from that change. Your actions then result are the, are the result of that perception and that's what the radical imagination is for us about. Like Unless I can ra keep radically imagining that and that's what we need allies for and that's why solidarity is so important because that is a work of great pain, it's a work of great suffering, it's a work of great exhaustion and grief. I often say to people, Actually, where I come from in terms of Iraq, people talk about, you know, obviously the war and the invasion and the occupation and the corruption of military state power. But actually, it's entirely framed by an environmental question. What's happened to Iraq? Because if oil wasn't in the ground, people wouldn't be there. If you weren't trying to extract wealth out of the ground of that country, we wouldn't you wouldn't have had the wholesale destruction of an entire civilization, you know. So to constantly try and believe there are alternatives is a work of the heart. It's like a work of the mind and the heart. So we feel that that is a resource. We have to keep building that resource. We have to keep drawing on it in ourselves. So that, for us, is far more valuable as a resource than material means. So money is just one form of material exchange, one currency. Actually, the really radical resources we can build on are, are, are how we together draw on radical understandings of ourselves, our potential and our future, and then work together to really change that. Money as a resource, I think that can open up this whole world of kind of looking at it in a different perspective and which makes sense. I didn't expect it to go so deep at the same time be flowing so smoothly. It was intense at the same time, very stirring. And, and they gave us a lot to work with. I feel like radical imagination is something that we desperately need. As a group, we were kind of drawn to that and we talked about that. And, but for me personally, I think that is the most important thing. That opens up new ways of kind of envisioning the landscape, envisioning, you know, my surrounding, my understanding of stories, the old ones, and also being able to tell new stories. So also in our group, we were talking about how, what are the kind of heroes that we want to see when it comes to climate change and environment. And someone else said, well, there is a hero, but I just feel like it's not him, it's a she. My two cents was, there is a hero, and it's a she and she's talking but we're not listening to her and that's Mother Earth. There we go. Who would have guessed that when I was trying to make the recording of this quietest place in Bethesda somebody would let a shotgun off in the next field? Well I hope that was uh, of some interest and use to you and maybe make you think about the way you listen to the world in general and the way your brain processes the environment. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Thank you to our speakers Rabab and Radha from Gentle Radical for their provocations and Dave Hopewell for his found and recorded sounds. You also heard contributions from Lindsay Corburn, Sean Ashton, Rebecca Smith-Williams, Zenzen, Shezad Chowdhury and contributions from around the tables. A huge thank you to them and to all the people who took part in Egin. Dielchenvaur. These podcasts were recorded and edited by me, Lisa Halev-Jones. Egin was produced by National Theatre Wales in partnership with Natural Resources Wales, with support from the National Trust, Snowdonia National Park Authority and the British Council.